Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. recording alex mattis hello and welcome back to the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong of course my name is alex joined as always by julio uh we are here continuing our descent not descent what's the <laughs> the opposite of descent yeah our rise yeah our rise you know remember you always remember dark the dark night descends the dark night rises that's right descent would have been like our rob zombie chronicle that we did yeah this is our journey on the path of female filmmakers uh, we are here today to join Nora Ephron's 2005 release, Bewitched. Um, now, you had seen this going in. A long time ago, when it came out, I think. I had not, because all the shit talk had kept me away from it. And I am resentful that I went 12 years of my life without seeing this. Um, I I will act as ambassador and welcome you to the <laughs> ranks of people that love this movie and that knew that this movie was so great. Well, it's got Jason Schwartzman first off, so like already you're you're talking to like a B minus floor. Now the- I, I want to hear that next. We're gonna play that clip next time that uh, when we do a movie that's uh, directed by Wes Anderson. I, as it was coming out of my mouth, I realized what was what was going on. Um, but yeah, so again, Nora Ephron directed, uh, written along with Adam McKay, who was not credited, and um, mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> But the reason, obviously, it brought us to this, we had previously done Lost in Translation, which had its uh, magnificent 95% rating. And this one is universally shit upon, standing at a meager 25% on Rotten Tomato. Yeah, this is just, uh, I mean, I I think that uh, uh, it's such a good example of what we set out to do with the show, which Mm -hmm. is just prove that Run Tomatoes doesn't know what they're talking about. No. And, yeah, we're going on, what, 45, 46 episodes strong? Yep. And uh, it's just, I mean, the material is endless. It is. They just continue to prove us right and themselves wrong. Yes. So, uh, before we just kick off into it, because I just want Nicole Kidman is just absolutely delightful in this, and I'm, I can't wait to talk about her, but um, there were a lot of critics that had some shit to say, so <laughs> what shit was said? Oh, there is, uh, yeah. 
I mean, it's not limited to Nicole Kidman, but... Oh, no, I, I mean just about the movie in general. I'm just excited to talk about her. Yeah. Uh, we'll start with Ken Tucker from New York Magazine slash Vulture, who said, what the hell is Will Ferrell doing to his career? That was pretty early on to say something <laughs> like that. Nathan, he should have been like, just wait and see. <laughs> uh, Nathan Rabin from the AV Club says, if it lost every bad idea, miscast actor, wasted performance, and botched scene, nothing would be left but the end credits. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> Show some goddamn respect. This is no right for him. <laughs> uh, Joe Williams from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The rabbit that's pulled out of the hat is lifeless. Jesus. That is now you're just bringing morbid... an innocent animal into this. <laughs> yeah. uh, Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Crazed said, a stupid, pompous waste of money and talent. And he just fucking slammed the door after yeah. that. He just stomped out of the room. Uh, Martin Scripps from Low IQ Canadian says, I'll have some of what Nora Ephron's having as long as I don't have to watch her movies. Oh, God. Finally, Brian Orndorff from FilmJerk.com says, Bewitch is a poorly executed mess that no wiggle of the nose can save. Boo. There's plenty of nose wiggling uh, in this There movie. is plenty of that. And, and it's part of its charm. It is. Uh, so Bewitch, you know, first of all, the exact opposite Hollywood route, instead of just making a cheap phoned-in uh, reboot, they basically take the original story and put a little original twist on it right yeah. from the beginning, which I appreciate. They go all made out on us. Yeah. And so Nicole Kidman plays Isabel Bigelow. Uh, the first scene of the movie is herself and her father, Nigel, played by Michael Caine, who uh, I don't know if this movie would have worked without Michael Caine. Uh, but she is a witch, and she's moving to the Valley in California because she wants to give up the life of witching and basically become an adult woman and just live as a normal person in society. Right. I mean, that is, you know, th at the surface, but the subtext is clear, especially once you cast Nicole Kidman. This is Nicole Kidman wanting to not be Nicole Kidman anymore. Mm -hmm. And that is, it works in such a way, in the exact way, exact opposite way of uh, Lost in Translation. Because you might remember, I didn't think that Scarlett Johansson was well cast in Lost in Translation because mm -hmm. you didn't buy that such a charismatic, attractive actress would go through what her character goes through. But here, it works, because you cast Nicole Kidman, who is incredibly successful, very talented, beautiful, and, yeah, the dilemma of, do people really love me, or do they love the celebrity part of me? So yeah. you can totally buy the her in this role of, as somebody who wants to sh just shed the skin of, uh, that she has and just be a normal person. Mm -hmm. So I, I totally bought it from the beginning. As soon as she starts telling her dad that she wants somebody to really look at her for who she is instead of a witch, a witch, then yeah, just replace witch for celebrity. Yeah. And Nigel is very adamantly opposed to this. You know, it says it's not in our heritage. It's not part of our culture type thing. And she's just trying to buck the system. And you know, the celebrity, witch, whatever, it's all an allegory for something bigger. Right. Yeah, I mean, that that speech of uh, this is not our people and you shouldn't be mixing with these people. Yeah. Uh, that's, we hear it all the time now. And <laughs> It's true. And it's true that David Allen Greer is the only person of color in this entire film, but it still speaks to a higher purpose. He's the director, though. He, he, he is. God bless him. All those years of holding out, he finally got a leading role. Um, on the opposite side of the coin, our male lead, Jack Wyatt, played by Wolf Ferrell, 
is a failing actor who had several movies that have flopped. So basically now where do actors go to die? And that is syndicated television. Um, he is the lead. He is the purpose for this show. They've cast him. The first introduction we have of him is the uh, aforementioned Jason Schwartzman plays his agent. Uh, his character has a name, but, but like we said, we just we didn't. It's, it's, it's Jason, Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, yeah. and nothing. Nobody plays smarmy like Jason Schwartzman. Nobody. It, it just it just oozes out of him. He mm-hmm. just it's just surprising. He doesn't have slime just you know dripping off his face. In the inevitable Richard Dreyfus biopic, Jason Schwartzman to play Richard Dreyfus. Yes. Um. So he's at a meeting with the basically the producers of the Bewitched. Uh, series that's going to be launched we get familiar with throughout the entire movie uh jim turner and stephen colbert they're basically the the gears the driving force behind the show um and basically this first scene just gives an insight into just how fragile and um on edge jack wyatt is because he comes in originally you know just willing to do whatever he's just there you know i'm here to have fun but then he switches over and becomes super paranoid he lets himself be manipulated by Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. uh there's just so much. Uh, I love the the fact that this is an early Stephen Colbert. Uh, yeah. Obviously, before he was a superstar. Uh, but but the movie keeps hitting you with all these little cameos uh, by people that I guess in 2005 they were nowhere near as big as they are now. Yeah. Uh, but even some of them, like Shirley MacLaine later, that they don't have a big part, but they were established. So these were people that obviously like like the character that Will Ferrell plays in this movie, I'm guessing they were a fan of the show. They were fans of the show, and that's why they decided to just join the project. And mm-hmm. it shows, because you know, like Shirley MacLaine, obviously having a great time. She has maybe like 10 minutes of screen time yeah. in, in this movie. But it just shows that when you love the project, it just doesn't matter. It just you know it shows in your performance, not in the amount of screen time you get. Well, also the extremely pro-feminism, pro-female film that this is, Shirley MacLaine... Um, yeah, may only have a collective 10 minutes on screen, but she has, one, an overpowering presence, but her character in the film brings a massive... She's a character of great power. Oh, yeah. She's an agent of change. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, but, yeah, no, speaking of that, actually, I mean, there is that other undercurrent, uh, undercurrent of uh, feminism in the sense that this depicts uh, Hollywood as the male-driven, egotistical engine yeah. uh, th- that it is. Uh, you're just here to look pretty, so shut up and don't even dare get yourself over. Well, exactly. Uh, Farrell's character, yeah, he's a good guy and everything, but in the end, he's he's remaking Bewitched to be about the guy, not about the witch. Yeah, which is the complete opposite of what was Bewitched, what Bewitched was. And I know some of it is his insecurities as his agent is. I don't know uh, what you watched. I mean, the Bewitched I'm familiar with, Elizabeth Montgomery didn't do anything. She was just there to look pretty, and you know, right? You know. That was back in the what the fifties, sixties, sixties, yeah. 60s? yeah. Um, so, and again, just kind of another parallel lives type of thing. Isabel is just out in society trying to be normal. Uh, they've gone through auditions, and Jack is just not feeling any of the people they have there uh, to play Samantha. And he just spots her out in the wild, so to speak. She's just out trying to have a cup of coffee, adapt to normal society. And it's also, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a metaphor for life, you know. When the least you expect it, it's just right there in front of you type of thing. And, of course, he's attracted to her because he sees her wiggling her nose Mm -hmm. because I think she's about to sneeze. But there is – I really like – I don't think that nose fetishes are given enough due in movies these days or ever, really. Everybody talks about Tarantino's foot fetish. Yeah. And how is it that this movie didn't spark – just an openness on filmmakers that have nose fetishes? Because there is a whole sequence here where you're just focused – on Nicole Kidman's nose, 
And then she just Pharrell gets really excited and takes her over to the executives and just shows her. It's just the nose. Yeah, it's just the nose, and it's just her wiggling her nose over and over, and the crowd increases around her. And uh, uh, that sort of adoration for something that's so simple and yet apparently so quirky and kinky, even. Uh, well, you know, it's the the rule of three. We've got the the trio of directors: Russ Meyer, breasts; Quentin Tarantino, feet; Nora Ephron, noses. noses. Oh. If if only this movie had taken off, can you imagine <laughs> the poster for the sequel would be just the nose? There's a, and then you can add in Rob Zombie the cucking uh, the cuck holding fetish, and <laughs> then you've got you know you've got your quartet right there. Well, Zombie's like the black sheep; they don't let him in the room. But they're no, I guess they... the cuck holding fetish would have to be uh, Judd Apatow because he really gets off on watching his wife make out with other dudes. <laughs> Uh, but uh, as Julio mentioned, uh, Isabel auditions for the part of Samantha Stevens, and all they need is the nose wiggle. Um, but that's all, excuse me, Jack needs. The producers and the crew want a little bit more, so they have her reading a script. It becomes clearly apparent she's never been on audition before. And so Jack kind of says, well, let's just start ad-libbing. And, you know, for all of the political, sexual uh, stances this movie's taken, you know, get down to brass tacks, it's still a movie. There's actors involved. And this is a scene where we first see just the unbridled chemistry between Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman when they're just ripping back and forth. Yeah, there is this... Uh, I could understand... I don't understand the 25% score in Rotten Tomatoes. I understand some people being turned off the way that I am turned off sometimes when things get a little too meta. I think this movie strikes just the perfect balance. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't help but feel that here was one of those moments where... Life imitates art and art imitates life. And this is Will Ferrell kind of showing Nicole Kidman, who's not known as being a comedian the way yeah. that Ferrell is. And here he's just teaching her or just helping her through ad-libbing. Because Ferrell, I'm sure he improvised like half of this movie. Yeah. Whereas Nicole Kidman, I can imagine her being more – every time you cut to a reaction shot where, where uh, her character is surprised by something Will Ferrell does, I'm pretty sure that's a real reaction. That's probably why they had Adam McKay on set, just to kind of like act as the, the coach, you know, in between takes and right. give him the water bottle and warm him up. And just be like, okay, in this take, just do whatever you do want. Do whatever you want. And it's we'll, going to be great. Will Ferrell just goes crazy, and then Nicole Kidman says the same line. It, <laughs> that mixture sometimes doesn't work, but here it does. And I think part of it is that they incorporate it into the story where you have Ferrell as being the seasoned actor, mm -hmm. and he just puts her at ease. And it's like, no, you just answer my questions. And then she uh, she just starts answering with uh, stuff that comes from her real life instead of imagining stuff, you know, coming up with, with imaginary things. Because, yeah, to her, being a witch is still normal. She's trying to adjust, but she's answering these questions uh, truthfully. But, of course, it just comes off as comedic to those in the room because, you know, witches aren't real at this point. Yeah, Colbert's behind the desk going like, oh, yeah, write that down. It's a whole uh, Tim Allen Santa Claus type situation we've got here where she actually knows what she's talking about, but people around her don't take it seriously. Uh, so the project's announced they have a big media event where uh, it's basically held by Jack and he announces that, you know, Bewitch is back. It's a show. Introduces Isabel. All he asks her to do is the nose wiggle and then basically pushes her aside because he's the star. He's still a man. <laughs> he announces the role of Aunt Clara will be played by uh, Iris Shirley MacLaine. No, no, no. Not Aunt Clara. Uh, the mom. Uh, Endora. Endora. Excuse me. Aunt Clara shows up later. Okay, that's right. Aunt Clara actually is a character in the movie. Uh, okay. They're throwing so many strong female characters at me, it's hard to keep up with here. <laughs> yes. We are also men. So at some point, all strong female characters blur together. Uh, so Endora is introduced. It's Shirley MacLaine, and she is just in her own world, an amazing uh, um, almost Judy Garland-type 
performance she puts on of I'm the seasoned actress, I know what the fuck I'm doing, don't fuck with me type thing. Yeah, it, it is a tradition now. I mean, we, we, we saw this archetype several times when we were doing our, our showbiz arc mm-hmm. of the grizzled vet yeah. coming in and having a, a very special part to play, and that's that's her here. She's the actor. That, she's an actress that obviously has a more uh, renowned uh, career than Will Ferrell's character, and she just ignores him. And She is Helen St. Clair in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. We just needed Harvey Firestein being, <laughs> you are Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> but she is just like 30 seconds short of uh, later in the movie, just going, don't speak, don't, to yeah. uh, Michael Caine. <laughs> she does, just uh, jumping a few bars ahead here, but it's good a time as any to bring it up. Uh, her first appearance on the show in front of the live studio audience is just <laughs> Garland-esque to the T, where every time she's on screen, or on uh, camera, excuse me, she's just blowing kisses to the audience, nodding. It's wonderful. Um, show goes into production and it's around this time. It's, I think it's the first day of recording or filming, excuse me, that, uh, Isabel catches wind that this project is more just about Jack and not her. She's just there to look pretty and that they're going to continue to reduce her lines, things of that nature. Yeah. She is, uh, she's so new to the real world that she didn't realize that she didn't have any lines, even mm-hmm. though she's one of the main characters. Yeah. I totally buy that. I- Going back to this being a little bit of a an allegory to uh, uh, Nicole Kidman's life, I also think if Nicole Kidman, like, I don't think Nicole Kidman does her own shopping. So if mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman went to like an H E B, she would be acting with the same kind of wonder uh, and awe that uh, Nicole Kidman's character does in the movie here, where everything to her is awesome. So she doesn't realize that really she's getting screwed over. So she go to an H E B and get charged like a hundred dollars for a six pack of beer, and she'd be like, "This is amazing." They're treating me like a real person. You wrap jalapenos in bacon. <laughs> uh, I will come home a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but after this, Isabel basically snaps because she's trying to be a better person, much like Wolverine, though. She's trying, but they bring her back. <laughs> she's she, keeping the claws in. She can't you know, fight who she is. And she. this is when the witching begins. She's doing... All kinds of things on set to to raise a ruckus. Um, most uh, poignantly, the episode where basically there's a dog that's supposed to choose who it wants to go with, either um, Darren, Jack's character, or his ex-girlfriend. The dog is supposed to, by the prop man, you know, run up to Darren, um, and she basically manipulates it to jump into her arms. And then her female friends feed her a line that makes her like become an instant star on the show. Yes, she uh, she steals the show because the whole thing is done with a with a live audience. Like I mentioned, Shirley MacLaine is always blowing Hamming kisses. And, yeah, and uh, it's it's a pretty delightful look at behind the scenes. It's a very old fashioned TV show, or at least to me, it feels like a very old fashioned way of shooting a TV show. Even yeah. though I mean, I know like there's still a lot of shows, sitcoms that are shot like that. I mean, uh, Big Bang Theory, which is a huge hit. Still, like they have the live audience and they do the thing, uh, mm-hmm. but you know what they don't have? Will Ferrell, Nicole Kidman, and Shirley MacLaine on set, being and being awesome. Any good writing or performances? We will have a special TV episode where we hash it out about Big Bang Theory, and, and, yeah. and I will force you to accept that uh, it is great. This is where Spanish Flea starts playing, and if it was a video <laughs> podcast, it would just be the scene missing title screen. <laughs> Uh, but but no, I, I I had a lot of fun with the behind the scenes part of it because you know you have uh, David Alan Greer as the director and then you have uh, Colbert and his and his partner also behind the scenes. They're all reacting and trying to come up with uh, trying to keep this show afloat, even though it's 
is derailing on the Will Ferrell side, mm -hmm. and it's going really well on the Nicole Kidman side. It's mm -hmm. just them trying to to figure that stuff out. I I always I always get a kick out of that kind of stuff. Uh, now the I think it's a good time also to mention that yeah she has friends she's made allies, uh, and I thought it was very smart. I don't know how familiar you're with the with the whole like three witches covenant thing, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And she gets her own little covenant, even though it's never named as such, because she has her neighbor played by uh, Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. And then she has I don't know who she is. She's like an assistant of some sort in the production. The hot friend with glasses. The hot friend with glasses. Yeah. And uh, and so they get together and they are scheming. They don't know she's a witch, but they they understand her plight as far as oh she's been. She's been done wrong by a man. Yeah. And so they come together. And what could come across as just uh, man-hating and just women being terrible to a man just because it's a man, it actually comes across as something that's very, I would say, thematically relevant. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a witch, and she's not alone. She has her coven, and now they're actually coming back with a vengeance. And, you yeah. know, she does all this horrible, uh, these horrible things to, uh, to Feral. Teaches you just to be nice overall because you don't know when one's going to actually be a witch that can curse you. That is sort of an underlying thing here, too, where you don't know when somebody with powers is going to show up. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, uh, Kristen Chenoweth also, yeah, she, I would say she has probably about as much screen time as Shirley MacLaine, but as expected from Kristen Chenoweth, she does, she makes the most out of it. I mean, yeah, it begs the question, like, what if Nicole Kidman really was one of us, a stranger on the bus type? <laughs> but as we mentioned, David Allen Greer plays Jim, the director of the show. Um, for being David Allen Greer, he doesn't get as much David Allen Greerness as I would like, but it's still a welcome uh, welcome surprise to see him in that role, because he, he still is funny and has some good delivery. He just, he's just playing it low-key. Yeah, exactly. He's just kind of bringing a little bit to the table. Um, because of all this, Isabel's really starting to resent Jack. Uh, his ego is out of control, just basically based on, you know, the shows about him. Um, and she's doing kind of what she can to sabotage on her end to make it more about her and also just kind of keep him in check. Um, as this is all happening, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Aunt Clara comes into the fray, played by Carol Shelley, has a very brief appearance. And basically all she suggests is that they place a hex on Jack. Uh, yeah, uh, and this is the movie kind of twisting it a little more on the meta sense because up till now there's been a clear differentiation between the cast of the Bewitched TV show of the past mm -hmm. and then the Bewitched movie that we're watching versus the Bewitched remake that they're making in the movie. And uh, But Aunt Clara turns out to be Nicole Kidman's actual Aunt Clara. Yeah. But who happens to share all the traits that the Aunt Clara in the TV show did? This is like the only good Scream movies, one and four. If they put them together, it works just perfectly that way. Yes, it's this is uh, uh, Nora Ephron going all Inception on us, yes. and it's like how many levels deep are we by the time that Aunt Clara shows up? Nicole Kidman could just be sleeping on a plane for all we know. Yes, uh, but but yeah, it's it's great because Aunt Clara was known for showing up and and fucking things up mm -hmm. and then aunt clara shows up and fucks things up yeah and basically the hex she places on him is way more powerful than she intended it to be and this is where we get kind of you mentioned earlier just classic feral clearly just improv and everything here uh so basically she casts a hex and it makes jack fall in love with uh isabel samantha and he shows up to set the next day um 
just smitten, playing the name game with her name. Just every chance he gets talking to her, he's trying to rewrite every scene that they're in where they can kiss. And, you know, he's just, he's like a fifth grader in love. It's wonderful. Yeah, but it's also kind of sad and, and very, I, I think it's a very smart point that Efren is making here where she's just like, it takes magic to get, for a woman to get a fair treatment in show business. Because it's only because Pharrell is under this spell that they actually give Nicole Kidman lines mm -hmm. and then they decide that she should be in every scene. And then that she should, her character should have a job, and that she should get jokes. Yeah. Basically, what the feral character got by default, Nicole Kidman can only get it because magic. Because of magic. And uh, Michael Caine knew this. That's why he was trying to keep her away from Hollywood. He knew he knew what was coming. Gonna break your heart. That's right. But then, gotta jump ahead just because I don't want to keep it. But that's this is why I think they cast Michael Caine because yeah, he's funny and he's talented and everything, but. I don't think anybody else can do like those uh, "Why do we fall?" moments like like he does, yeah. and he gets one of those later in the movie. And it this is part of it, you know. He uh, the fact that uh, Nicole Kidman is gonna get her heart broken and she's gonna her self esteem is gonna plummet and all this stuff. Uh, it's only worth it in a way, or one of the reasons it's it's worth it is because it leads to Michael Caine giving her the "Why do we fall?" speech, yeah, uh, with that accent. He's just talking to her parents' gravestones, <laughs> apologizing. Um, so they end up going out on a date. Isabel wants to, you know, reverse the hex, but when she's smitten with him as well, when he shows up, you know, she wants to see this through. So they go out on the date. They learn that they have so much in common. They sing and dance together, and they come back home. And right before they kiss is when she, basically she sobers up real quick. From she she comes back to her senses like yeah. the roofie wears off. Jesus. This is the Michael Haneke influenced scene of the film, uh, Funny Games, where she just picks up the remote and hits the rewind button and basically retracts the entire date. One of those, just when you didn't think that the movie could get any cooler, then you get time travel. Yes. I was, my mind was blown. I remember the first time I watched that, the first time I watched it, and now this time I got the same joy because I, I knew it was coming, but I couldn't remember the circumstances, and then it, it, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, we're going to jump back in time, like, two days. So we go back a day, yeah. So, and this was my favorite in just fucking brilliant comedic writing. So the day, it's the same day repeated, but when he has the hex in, he's playing the name game with Isabel's name, and then it comes back to what reality would be, and he's playing the name game with his own name. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> it's a lot of little things, because in the when he had the hex on, he had this, this cappuccino machine that has a sign that's like, this is Will Ferrell's Do Not Touch. Mm -hmm. Right? So when he has the hex and he's in love, he's like, hey, cappuccino for everybody. And then when he comes back and he doesn't have the hex, he's like, make me 20 cappuccinos. Bring me the best one. <laughs> and when he is, has the hex on and he hears the numbers, it's like, 32%, that's better than zero. <laughs> and then when he's normal, he just starts freaking out and saying that all the you know subjects must have been high. Um, but it, it, his ego takes back over and he just shows what an awful man that he is uh, at this point in his life. And Isabel, this is where uh, she stands up to him and says he's a jerk and you know an egomaniac and all this shit. And then quits and storms off set. And in a weird way, this sobers up and refreshes Jack because he tracks her down right after and he's yeah. By it. yeah, it's a controversial, it's not very popular, uh, not very popular position to take, but I think one that's necessary to voice every now and then, which is that sometimes you have to yell at a man to fix him. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, women sometimes get screwed, I think, because they're too gentle. They're, they're, uh, 
they are better than we are. Right. Sometimes we need them to be at our level. Yeah. Sometimes we need them to come down to our level and just like punch you in the dick, which is what what she does to Will Ferrell here. She she just obliterates him with words. And when Jason Schwartzman tries to intervene, she just cuts him off right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, again, it's about empowering women. And there is a. Uh, there is no doubt once Nicole Kidman walks out of that lot about who's the boss. Mm-hmm. And Furl is kind of turned on by it. Yeah. He needs someone like that. He needs an over, like an overpowering presence. Sometimes that's a guy. You need somebody to tell you what's what. Exactly. Um, and this is where the real feelings begin on both sides. I think uh, there was a little bit there on Kidman's side to begin with, but they, there's a real rat-a-tat between the two of them, and you know, love is blossoming on the battlefield. Um until that is, throughout the film, we're told about Farrell's ongoing, or excuse me, Jack's ongoing divorce proceedings. Uh, his wife Sheila Wyatt, played by Katie Finneran, who she shows up on set, and I guess her flavor of the month boy toy had kicked her to the curb, and she was back to reclaim her husband. Well, she's also heard that the show is a hit. Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, she sees money. She wants on that gravy train. Yeah, and that's that's cool because you'd expect this kind of movie, written by a woman, directed by a woman. Uh, and that's so much about empowering women and everything that it would shy away from giving you a truly despicable female character. But no, they go there. Yeah. This woman is completely opportunistic, and they're fine depicting her like that. And this is another great comedic moment just for the shock value where uh, Isabel has a piece of the set fall on her. And then she immediately thinks, oh, that's a bit too far. And then uh, Michael Haneke, again, rewinds just a few seconds. And uh, what does she do? She has a big fan blower extensions. Out. Yeah, yeah. Just... Uh, it's just her extensions are gone and then she just looks terrible. But this is where Isabel uses her witching for a bit too much in that she can does the twinkle of her ear and with all that uh, Sheila is going to sign the divorce papers and move out of the house and move to another country. Iceland. Iceland. And she does all this and this is where she has the the, the um, captain from Titanic the what have I done moment. She grabs the gun and you know gives the salute uh, <laughs> in that she realizes she's gone too far with this and guilt has overcome her. Is this when she, when she has all the, the visions or the apparitions of her dad, Michael Caine, uh, while she's actually shopping at HEB? <laughs> yeah, he's like on the fish sticks and he's Orville Redenbacher. And like I was telling Julio when we were watching it, what I would pay to have one of those prop boxes of popcorn that has fucking Michael Caine's face on it. Uh, the tie-in merchandising uh, opportunities that were lost when this movie bombed. Uh, oh, yeah. That's such a shame. Yeah. Like, he was on the Jolly Green Giant, Frozen Peas. And he was the Jolly Green Giant. He was. So to celebrate all this uh, good news for Jack's character, uh, Wyatt, Mr. Wyatt has a party at his mansion. Um and this is a scene where we get our two kind of intermingling love stories uh, almost culminating. Number one, we learn that uh, Iris, Shirley MacLaine, is a witch. Right. Oh, yeah, because, uh, yeah, Michael Caine, I think it's when when he shows up uh, at the HEB, or maybe before then, that he mentions that he finds her attractive. And mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman's do not, don't do it mm-hmm. uh, because he's a known womanizer and she doesn't want to mess up that relationship with her co-star. But then he does end up hooking up with her. Yeah. Uh, because he's so fucking charming with his accent. Yeah. But she also, she fucks with him first. She has all the really attractive younger waitresses. Uh, right. Yeah. That's when we find out that she's a, she's a witch. Yeah. Because she just has him uh, uh, basically tell him the truth. Uh, 
but the things that they would never say, mm-hmm. and most of it relates to his age. Yeah, and so it's this uh, this big come down for the Kane character, who I guess has never had to worry, has never had to hear the truth, so he's never had to worry about uh, how foolish he may look or be. Would you turn down Michael Kane? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that that accent of his, I like it, but uh, in a respectable way. The man has rubies the size of tangerines. Yeah, but I'm not that superficial, Alex. (laughs) Uh, Um, But yeah, no, it's. I I think it's cool. It's it's a small part of the movie, but I like the fact that it addressed just this other small thing, which is uh, just not necessarily love, but lust mm -hmm. at 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 that age. He's he's Michael Caine is a senior citizen, and he's. He's kind of too old for this nonsense, and somebody needs to show him that. Mm-hmm. And and Shirley MacLaine does him the favor. She kind of ropes him back into reality. Yes. Um, but the other love story, of course, with Samantha and Darren, uh, Isabel and Jack, she feels the need to express to him that she really is a witch. And he thinks they're just kind of riffing and ad-libbing. And then she starts doing some things, like a mustache appearing on Jason Schwartzman, uh, an umbrella on the drink, controlling the TV. And he just thinks it's all a part of an elaborate... Uh, like magic trick. Right. She thinks that she's a, an amateur magician. That's what he says, yeah. And then they go out to the valet and she has her broom and he grabs onto it and she makes it fly. And again, Will Ferrell just being incredibly hilarious when he lands, he just starts screaming incoherently. I don't know that anybody other than Will Ferrell can get away with making that kind of screaming funny. Like, he, yeah, that... if Casey Affleck did that, no. <laughs> Casey Affleck maybe can play the Jason Schwartzman role. I could never it, it wouldn't see be funny. Casey, or but... he, like I can't believe Casey Affleck could reach a tone that high screaming. <laughs> if he didn't do it in fucking Manchester by the Sea, we're never getting <laughs> That's it. That's it, yeah. Um, but he's horrified by this, and it sends him into a tailspin because he's literally seen a witch, so he loses his mind. Yeah, and it shows that for all the enlightenment that he got more or less on his own because mm-hmm. she had taken the hex away, right? Uh uh, so he he kind of learned to be respectful to women or appreciate women on his own, but then the moment you throw like an extra layer of, of, of differences, uh, then he freaks out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, it's okay as long as they're women, but if they're women and they're witches, then that's it. I'm out. Yeah. And so, so it goes back to tolerance and to not being so self-absorbed. Uh, you know, it's like there's more to to being a great man than just being accepting of women. Mm-hmm. You have to be accepting of. Everyone, yeah, which is included of life. Through this, we get Michael Caine's Oscar clip, the "Why Do We Fall" scene, where Nicole Kidman. Uh, I think this is the first time she's ever been in love in her life. Yeah, clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have this amazing scene where Caine uh, drops all the facades and and just talks to her like an adult, mm-hmm. gives her the the real the real talk, and it's not even that long. It's just he's just confirming that. What she feels right now, all that misery, that's love. Yeah, yeah, he's just there for her. And then on the other side of the coin, Will Ferrell's character is just kind of descending into madness. And this is kind of, you know, the the typical romantic comedy. We do get the montage of kind of how their lives are out of whack without one another. Um, And then it finally culminates with Jack uh, going through all all these auditions for the new Samantha. And he's going to be on Conan O'Brien. And then the final homage to the original, we get... uh, our final big cameo of the film as well, the guiding light, the conscience, uh, Uncle Arthur, played by Steve Carell here, which I, I that caught me off guard. I didn't realize he was in this. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he has that small part, and it's just the movie going completely crazy with the meta aspect of it, but in a good way, uh, because you know you have to ratch things up. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
uh, obviously, after you after you had Aunt Clara kind of like show up and be a mixture of the real world and the TV show, now you have Uncle Arthur show up, and mm-hmm. he is his presence in the movie is so uh, inexplicable. You can't rationalize it that they have the character say it himself. Mm-hmm. He's like, listen. It's just when you hook up with a witch, weird shit happens. Yeah. And then he's like, you're real. He's like, temporarily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's fine. You know, that's the kind of thing that a movie can get away with when it hats you. Mm-hmm. It, when it has you. And and it had us. Mm-hmm. So we're just like, oh, yeah, I'll go with it. It's Steve Carell doing a great Uncle Arthur. Uh, yes. So, so yeah, I'll go wherever the movie wants to take me at this point. And exactly. It has us. We know where it's going. It's the cliche, tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. They end up together, they see each other, and they tell each other how much they love one another. It's, it has a little chase scene, or like, you know, it's Billy Crystal running to Meg Ryan mm-hmm. uh, on New Year's, yeah. also written by Nora Ephron. It's just sometimes those things, why deviate from the formula when the formula why works so well? Why fucking fix what's not broken? Exactly. You just you want them together, you want to have a little exciting uh, sequence right before that. So they're mm-hmm. chasing her, because she's, she's going to go back home because she's heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. Uncle Arthur, who doesn't know how to drive, drives Will Ferrell yeah. to where she's going to be. And that place is, turns out to be uh, the the TV set where they've been shooting because it turns out that that's where she actually feels at home, mm-hmm. uh, which is really sweet. And it's great, too, because uh, – shit, I forget the line of it, but um, earlier when, they, when she storms off set and Will Ferrell, he says something to the effect of – Oh, if you just drive on a set in a golf cart, people just assume they're a big deal. <laughs> and that's where he gets the golf cart when he goes to set to make sure that he's riding that. But yeah, they end up happily ever after. The show is a success. And, you know, it may seem as though we're just reaching a very predictable cliche ending. But God damn it, it's one we wanted and one we deserved. Yeah. And, and then because this movie just it won't stop throwing awesome things at you until the very end. Uh the, the the final thing you see is they obviously they got married and they go into their new home and Farrell is carrying her and uh and the neighbors watch him arrive, which is a throwback to the to the TV show. Yeah. And who's playing the husband? Richard fucking kind. <laughs> he shows up there for like maybe ten seconds of screen time, mm-hmm. but it's just such a oh, joy. Who's the wife? She's from Oh, I didn't recognize the wife. Uh, Rangers with Candy. Oh, that's her? Yeah. Really? I don't remember her name, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. She's also on Kimmy Schmidt, yeah. She, a tree just appeared in the front yard. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's a wonderful ending and a, and a deserved ending. Yeah, and it's uh once again like the best movies about women empowerment, I think. I, I mean, going back to just a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Ian Flux, right? Mm-hmm. Uh given power to your female protagonist does not mean humiliating your your male protagonist or your male character your male male character uh a hundred percent the the ideal thing is when you find a balance where oh they both learn to respect each other which is ideally the way they should be in the real world yeah uh, no dominance from either gender uh so here even though she's a witch and she could do whatever she wants she just sticks with uh, Will Ferrell. He even says, I think you're settling. <laughs> yeah. The universe balances itself out. When you meet the right person, they balance you out. Yep. And it was Amy Sedaris. Amy Sedaris. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to Real Talk because a lot of this is just going to bleed over. So, are uh, we... Actually, I hate it, Alex. But oh, uh, we'll... <laughs> you would. All right, all right. You let's made me talk. watch fucking Dawn of Justice, so you, you will <laughs> listen to me talk about this. Yeah, let's move on to Real Talk. It's my dog. My dog! And I will die if I do not have him back. Do you understand? I will die 
if I do not have it back. Cut. Well, that was a bit much. Jack, you want you want to take it down a notch? Or five? You know what? Just keep it going. Let me let me just go right away. I'll, I'll get it this time. Rolling. Action. Where art thou, dog? Thy canine lover. What's happening? Where is your hot breath upon the nape of my neck? We shall form a bond of brotherhood, man and beast. You shall lick my face and I shall lick your snout. Cut! Jack. Guys, I, I'm not doing this on purpose. I, I swear to you. Okay. All right. Rolling! Esta mi pero. Mi... Mi pero es mi favorito. Mi pero es mi corazón. Muchos taquitos. Buena suerte. Oh, my God. Where's my dog? Totally. I have a totally great dog. Jack, what are you doing? All right, real talk for Bewitched. All right, let's hit him. Let's not hurt him, Julio. Let's hit him with the facts real quick. Bewitched released June 24th, 2005, so had that firm summer placement. Uh, budget of $85 million, which isn't too surprising considering how many big names were involved. And uh, box office return of approximately a uh, little under $132 million. Again, stands at a meager 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Nora Ephron, written by Nora and uh, Delia Ephron, and as well as Adam McKay, of course, based on the television show of the same name. I have a lot to say about this movie, so let's get to who liked it. Uh, a few chosen, enlightened few liked it, uh, including Roger Moore from the Orlando Sentinel, who said, The fluffiest surprise of the summer. When it comes to the race for giggles, it's Nicole by a nose. He got pretty cute himself there. It was. It was, it was good. Uh, Amy Biancoli from the Houston Chronicle says, It is courageously weird, and that alone casts a spell. Paul Clinton from CNN.com says, The result is not only an homage to the original TV show, it's also a gentle and at times hilarious spoof of Hollywood. That guy knows. Yep. He could have been a guest. Brent Simon from Now Play Magazine says, An unlikely match on the surface, you really end up enjoying the pairing of Pharrell and Kidman. Yep. Uh, Willie Waffle from WaffleMovies.com. If my last name was Waffle, I would also put it on a website. Mm -hmm. uh, Kidman is so darn cute in this movie. Bewitched is a great date movie and a funny film for anyone who has or hasn't seen the original television show. And finally, Michael Zimanski from Sci-Fi Weekly says, Sexy Witch perfected the Twitch. Ew. <laughs> that guy completely missed the point of like women being buried in Hollywood. Okay, so first and foremost, just some fun trivia before we get to the meat and potatoes. Uh, so this movie wasn't bad, but it would have been if they got their top choice for Jack, who was Mike Myers. What? Yeah. Oh, and then no. backup for that was Jim Carrey. And then they, which. I, I could see Carrey pulling it off. I could not see a successful chemistry between Nicole Kidman and Mike Myers. Well, I just I'm not I've never been the biggest Mike Myers fan. I enjoy some of his stuff, but I I was just watching Austin Powers. Uh, Dude, I watched Austin Powers two a few weeks ago. So fucking stupid, but so funny. Yes and no. I think that a lot of it does not age well. Yes, yeah, that's the thing. And they've been playing all three because I've I, the third I mean, one's very bad. I actually like the third one better than the second one. Okay, the second one 
like there are a few things that I can watch and every time I will be in tears laughing. The Jerry Springer scene from that movie, <laughs> I every time will be in tears from laughter. Is, is Rob Lowe on the second one? Or yeah. The That's the way. Yeah, okay, he's great. Yeah. But, but I just, I do not find, uh, uh, what fat bastard? Is that his name? That's not funny. Right, he's not funny at all. He's just if gross. anything, it's funny for like thirty seconds, and then it's like yeah. Ugh. And and I think that uh, Heather Graham is just I like her in other movies, but in in the Austin Powers movie, she's what is she just, good in? Uh, Boogie Nights, uh, Boogie Nights, she was Swingers, very, Scrubs. She was very good in her. Uh, I didn't see her in Scrubs, but that's uh, not a movie. But yeah, <laughs> that is about. Uh, I mean, for what she does, she's good in The Hangover. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, I've never seen she's her. She's not a leading lady. I've never seen her so out of place as she seems in that Austin Powers movie. Oh, where... like all the stupid jokes. She seems just like, yeah. The... It just, I don't know. There's something in her delivery that just doesn't work. Uh, Opp- it... This isn't the Mike Myers podcast, but like <laughs> on the other side of that coin, Tia Carrera in those Wayne's World movies is so good with her delivery. <laughs> Have I mentioned before that Wayne's World 2 is my favorite comedy ever? Yes. Maybe yeah. a time or five. Uh, Jenny McCarthy and Jennifer Love Hewitt were considered for the part of Samantha. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I'm just, just, I'm sorry, but Nicole Kidman has it, and there's no point in even wondering what would have been because she, she just has this part and she preach. Yep. There, there's no. That was perfect casting. I would have, if you told me Nicole Kidman, Will Ferrell. Yeah, on paper that sounds like a crazy idea. Yeah. And uh, but it works when you see it on the screen. I think that they feed off each other really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, last few tidbits, this movie was originally um, rated R. (laughs) It's one of the scripts that made the the rounds. It was originally Penny Marshall was attached to it in 1993, and Meryl Streep was going to play Samantha. Wow. Yeah. I think that would have been a bit too much. Uh, and la- who, who was gonna be uh, Darren there, or well, Jack uh, Jack Nicholson? If I remember correctly, I think there was it was Billy Crystal. No, you can't do that. That's uh, it feels even though I guess they're the same age, but it feels like that would have been. She's two feet taller than him. <laughs> um, and then the last bit of fun because it just tickled me a bit. Uh, it was the first movie that Nicole Kidman's two youngest daughters saw. And they like when it was over, they legitimately thought she like had powers, <laughs> and then they were upset when they found out she didn't. I thought that's, that was adorable because she's that good in the movie. She is. Um, Nora Ephron's directed films. I was going back through, uh, just going into this for which ones I had seen, which was You Got Mail, uh, Julia and Julia, and Sleepless in Seattle, and Michael. Which we're eventually going to have to do Michael. <laughs> that that's a that's a something. That's another one that uh, just from what I recall. It seems a little unfair. I love the, Andy McDowell, man. And I think Travolta does okay. That was in his. How many? It was just the two movies. Is that in Phenomenon where he did like the <laughs> question things movies? <laughs> All right, so fuck it. Let's get to it. Uh, I literally just did not see this movie for 12 years because of how bad the rep was, and I kind of dreaded going into it just based on its reputation. This is a perfectly fine movie, and I'm disappointed I had never seen it before. Uh, yeah, I am the... Uh, I have a slightly different We are experience. the 25%. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. 100% on the 25%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but see, I had seen it before, and I remember liking it a lot, and just being kind of shocked when I saw its Rotten Tomatoes score. And, uh, and even back then, I think I remember hearing that it wasn't doing really well with the critics. Uh, I cannot understand why but we'll get into that uh it was such a relief though when we were watching it and i i realized i still find it funny 
because it's happened before where we watch movies where we that we really like back then. Yeah. And now, now watching them years later, oh well, maybe they were not so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here it was it was just as funny as I remembered and. But even a bigger relief was when you started laughing. Yeah. And then at some point you turned to me and in one of my favorite contrarian moments off air so far, you're like, so at this point, does it get bad? Does it go off the rails? <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it because I'm watching it I'm like, this is this is fine. And yeah. Like all the stu- – okay, so I think Art Will Ferrell tastes very greatly. Um, I, n- I don't think you're that big of a fan of him overall. Uh, no, and it's 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 actually for the kind of things that she he does in this movie, but in this movie they work. That's what I was gonna say. So the things I like Will Ferrell for are not like this. Uh, I mean, Anchorman's good, but as far as like Anchorman, uh, Talladega Nights, and uh, like his big ones, those never really speak to me. Um, and you know, his, his Oscar uh, grabs. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as him as a real actor goes, um, what's that? Fucking oh, movie? Stranger Than Fiction. You're a big fan. I right? love that movie. Uh, but like Semi Pro and. Um, fucking love Land of the Lost, but as far as, like, his really stupid, eccentric blah, 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 stuff, like, exactly you're right. They put it in a way in this movie that makes it work really well, because it's also under the guise of, like, magic, and so it's it's funny, and um, but, yeah, like, not to harp on him too much, Nicole Kidman is just fucking excellent in this movie. <laughs> she, it's awesome because she clearly just, I mean, she probably doesn't like it now and i know both of them have kind of like publicly talked shit about the movie but that's a shame she went all in and was fantastic as samantha right she it it takes i think courage to go just to make this movie at all because yeah the uh the plot's a bit silly but but i think it's meant to be you know it's 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 supposed to be just bananas that Mm -hmm. you know there's time travel and there's like uh, a show within the movie and and all the stuff, and just the fact from the very beginning, the fact that they deviate from the source material, but in a very clever way, in my opinion. I mm-hmm. think that that's the right way. You don't really want to see the Bewitched TV show in the big screen. No. You know, it's like, and, and I am, I actually, you hadn't seen the Bewitched TV show, right? I mean, right. I watched it when I was a little kid, but right. not like, to the point where I can name episodes. Right. I can't name episodes, but I can name characters. And I remember part of the joy watching this movie the first time and now rewatching it was just, oh, it's really such a love letter to the show mm-hmm. without being the show. You know, it's and like, you can tell like Steve Carell in particular was loving doing that Paul Linden. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He's he probably did that that for free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, but everybody there from the moment that they make the the Steve Carell character a fan of the show, and when you first see him and he's at that meeting and he's throwing out names of the characters and he knows mm-hmm. like just how the show used to work. That's uh, I think it shows that the people involved were not disrespecting the show just because they didn't want to copy what the show was into the big screen. And so they decided to do something uh, that was very much inspired by the show and that played with the, what we had, what we knew from the show, but still was its own uh, story. So from what I recall, the Elizabeth Montgomery character in Bewitched mm-hmm. was nothing like the Nicole Kidman character here. No. So you could already expect some backlash from the fact that, oh, well, Nicole Kidman is playing this really wide-eyed naive witch that doesn't know how the world works and it's just kind of uh i didn't think it was dumb but i could see that that criticism leveled at her Mm -hmm. that she's playing just this dumb blonde that gets taken advantage of by a man in the first third of the movie yeah um 
but it works in part because it builds up to her being awakened. <laughs> yeah. And, and also because it's just, it's still fun. I, I can see people resisting it just because it's not Samantha from Bewitched, but that's kind of the point. <laughs> that, yeah. And that, it's kind of funny with something like that because that is the problem we run into all the time with comic book movies. Mm-hmm. People refusing, hashtag not my Batman, that type of shit. Um, but yeah, she went in. And Nicole Kidman, kind of, we were making allusions to. I don't want to touch too much on it when we weren't recording, but she's pretty hit or miss with me. Um, what's that movie with her and Jack Black? Um, oh, uh, is it The Savages? No, that's The Savages is something else. The Savages, yeah. No, that's Benicio del Toro. <laughs> um, it's not Nicole Kidman. It's Benicio del Toro. <laughs> it's got wedding in Margot Margo at the wedding. Is that? The one, yeah. okay, was, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I always get Margot the wedding and Rachel getting married. Uh, yeah, mixed up. I was gonna say Rachel getting married, but I was like, no, 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 no that's uh, Catwoman. Um, but yeah, she's really good in that. I mean, Batman Forever. Duh. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest fan of Eyes Wide Shut, or uh, but the, she's not a big part of Eyes Wide Shut. She has a couple of big scenes, and then it's just Tom Cruise's movie. Well, for whatever reason, it's a lot of things. It's a lot what a lot of people think of when they hear her name, probably because that movie was like so scandalous at the time. But um, yeah, I always thought she was someone who kind of took herself a bit too seriously. And I understand I'm talking about something 12 years after the fact, but seeing this was very refreshing. Um, and- uh, she's I've been mostly a fan since uh, To Die For. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. That's she plays this really manipulative woman that on the surface she's a little bit like a darker version of her character here in Bewitched where Mm -hmm. she's just wide-eyed and innocent but really she is a lot more devious and uh and she plays Joaquin Phoenix against her husband it's 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 pretty awesome and I think that was the first time that I saw her in a movie where I was uh just extremely impressed Mm -hmm. because I think the only time before that might have been Batman Forever (laughs) Oh man! And but ever since then, I mean, when she's in the movie, I, I would, I guess, to me, it's also hit and miss. But not because of her performances, just because sometimes she makes movies that I just don't care for. I know what it is. <laughs> I was able to put my finger on it. Uh, Baz Luhrmann is a bad filmmaker. Oh and, no, no, don't say that. And he put her at the head of two of his bad movies. I uh, I will not defend Australia. Um, Thank you. But but Moulin Rouge is is fine. It's I I might even venture into great. Okay. If you get into its wavelength, and and even if you don't like Nicole Kidman, you can't say that she's giving a bad performance in no, Moulin Rouge. No, that's true. I think I project my dislike of Baz Luhrmann onto her, which is very <laughs> unfair because she's not a bad filmmaker. He is. <laughs> not even Romeo and Juliet. No. Romeo plus Juliet. No. Leo. I didn't even see uh, Claire Danes. Sport. What was that? Great Gatsby. Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. You had compartmentalized it. Yeah. Um, Australia is better than the Great Gatsby. Jesus. Australia has that one awesome moment. Australia was seven reels. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I remember fucking putting it together. Uh, no, but do you remember that moment where the the little kid is standing in the middle of the desert or whatever in the buffalo? Are coming to her, the buffalo that's, are stampeding, that's and of he Southern Wild. No, <laughs> no, that's the end of Beasts of Southern Wild. Okay, there's only one beast. It's not a buffalo. It's a beast, and the little kid, yeah, the little girl puts up her hand. I thought whatever. it was a herd. No, in Beasts of Southern Wild, it's just one beast. 
I think. No, that, that's a good movie, though. Yes. Okay, I thought it was a herd. No. In, I've just seen it once. In Australia, me too. Maybe you're right. In Australia, the little kid, and it's in the middle of the movie, not at the end. At the end, the little kid standing and the buffalo coming, and then the little kid raises his hand and stops them or makes them like change course or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, there is a movie, I just, it doesn't work for me. But that moment, I remember being extremely pumped and being just let down to the movie. It <laughs> didn't keep going that way. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the point is, Nicole Kidman, she's fine in that movie too, I think. Yeah. No, she's not a bad actress. I think I just, for whatever reason, had a weird taste in my mouth about her all along. Had yeah, that uh, Bath Lerman taste. Fuck that guy. Um, and then, yeah, I wasn't kidding in real t- or uh, hashtag CC of um, that is such a brilliant fucking comedic joke of how when he's in love with her, he's playing the name game with her <laughs> name, and then he's not, and he's playing the name game with his name. I, I think that's great. Um, I, I am a sucker for time travel. I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast, so... That was the main thing I remember about the movie. I remember that at some point the movie went back and just showed you things in a different way. Mm-hmm. It went back in time and things played out differently. And it wasn't fucking gross and pretentious like 500 Days of Summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was just funny. <laughs> and, uh, and it was uh, – I, I was actually pleasantly surprised that that did not take as much of the movie, as big a part of the movie as I th- remembered. Mm-hmm. Because it's good, but it's also a gimmick that – it could get old really fast if you just have her rewind yeah. the clock a lot. But I, quick, if just gonna butt in, are you a person that think? Do you hate funny games because of that? I haven't seen it. I, I know that. I okay, know the I was thing. gonna say fuck. Did I screw this all up? No, no, no. no, no. Okay. I, I've somebody's told me about it. It's probably Curtis. Uh, just <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I'll just say this. At some point, <laughs> no, I, I know. I'll I know. Just exactly. say this. Bruce Willis might be dead. <laughs> Uh yeah okay so you know what happens yeah I I know what happens and I know that they, they I thought it was hilarious it. that like if you read like reviews from the time it was released people act like it was like this unspeakable defiling of film yeah it's just, no off. no and I I I I kept waiting after it happened in this movie I was waiting for a moment where uh uh an angry part of myself a part that wasn't enjoying the movie maybe would have said well why didn't she rewind the time mm-hmm. now you know because I see her you see her do it twice yeah. And and that really opens the door for her doing it anytime she wants, mm-hmm. but but she doesn't. But it works because the whole point is that she's trying not to do magic. Yeah. So she's trying to be a good person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it, just while I'm on that, I remember like the one thing that maybe if I wanted to be an asshole and criticize a movie, <laughs> I, uh, I would say that it's uh, I don't know yet how I feel about how it all ends as far as the love story. Because it doesn't really give you an answer to the the question, how do you know that a witch really loves you? Mm-hmm. You know, or or well, more importantly, how do you know you love a witch? Right, that's the the ultimate question. Because Pharrell, at the end, he doesn't know, and that's his whole thing. How do I know that she didn't put a spell on me, and that's why I love her? And the best that they can come up with is Steve Carell asking him questions, and him saying, "No, that was me. No, that was me." But he doesn't really know for sure. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. like, "Well, how do you? What about that time when?" When you saw her at the library, or what about that time when you offered her the job? And he's like, "No, that was me." He doesn't know that for sure. Yeah, it, it so, could just be a man drunk on love, right? I mean, so I guess the best we can go back thirty-five episodes ago to Natural Born Killers. And <laughs> they said it: only love can conquer the demon, right? Yeah. And the demon in this case is fear, prejudice against witches <laughs> and uh, women and women. <laughs> uh, no, I mean I think that if the if the answer is that well I know because I'm in love, then that's that's okay, but but if you're in love because you're under a spell, then you really don't know. Yeah. And I guess 
it's a little bit of a sadder reading if you go that deep because then you're just saying he doesn't care because mm-hmm. he's in love that much. But he could be under a spell. We know that he isn't because we didn't see it happen. Yeah. But he doesn't, you know? And so, I don't know. I, I It's a little bit, I guess, to me, it feels a little sadder than what the movie wants you to feel. Mm-hmm. But that's me just overthinking it, obviously. <laughs> Which is apparently what happened because this movie on the surface is just, I'm not kidding it's perfectly fine for what it is i think a lot of people just overthought it yeah but that's that's puzzling to me 25 percent. i I mean okay i'll give you a a little thing though when uh when i was going through the quotes there were a few uh red tomatoes that actually the quotes sounded pretty negative it's it's one of those cases where even the positive reviews are having trouble with uh despite itself yes yeah. yeah You might get a few laughs out of this, but do not expect much. And yeah. it's, I don't know, I i kind of want to, I don't remember what the climate was back in 2005 to where external things that have nothing to do with the movie would have affected uh, the reaction so much. What was Will Ferrell coming out of? What was Nicole Kidman coming out of? A lot of quotes were mentioning just that, oh, well, this is why she should stay away from comedy. The main reason I remember it is because that was the summer it came out on DVD was when I worked at Blockbuster. When I was home from college and people all pissed off returning it and shit. And I was just like, what the fuck, man? But here's the other thing. I thought maybe it's just that the movie, I felt, it plays a lot better if you're familiar with the show. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that kind of gets explained in the movie. But obviously, if you're familiar with the characters, you enjoy a lot more out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so maybe that was it. Maybe there's a lot of the audience that just didn't care for the the love letter to Bewitched aspect of it, which is crazy because you're going to see a movie called Bewitched. <laughs> so similar to what we did uh, last time to kind of get a grasp on what the climate was, I pulled up the Oscars from that year. <laughs> I think the difference is that Bewitched was not nominated for anything. It was not, but this should give you an insight into like what we as it, society. Uh-huh. <sighs> First of all, that was the year fucking Crash won. <laughs> Broke, uh, so, I'm sorry. This would be the 2006 Academy Awards for the 2005 films. So this right. movie came out in 2005. So the movies that were celebrated in 2005, Crash, Brokeback Mountain, uh, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck in Munich. Man, that is a bleak fucking lineup. <laughs> Not in terms of film quality, but just in terms of tone. Right. This movie was too silly and fluffy. For, no for shit, that. man. Uh, that was the other thing uh, that I saw... Several reviews had in common. <laughs> Forgot Terrence Howard was nominated for Hustle and Flow. <laughs> uh, that's Mr. War Machine. <laughs> oh, God. And fucking Joe Quinn didn't win. What a sad year. For what movie? Walk the Line. Oh, again. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And then Capote. Reese Witherspoon won an Oscar. For what? Hashtag Walk never forget. Hey, we decided that she's perfectly fine. Didn't we? Reese? Yeah. Reese is great. Yeah, She's I think just... in, in our uh, uh, This Means War episode. Speaking of which, it's still here. When you, when you left after recorded, I, I like almost tried to chase you out. Like, you forgot your movie. It's like, he's not going to care. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Um, yeah. Did you ever see Wild? No, 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 no. Yeah, but she, I think you mentioned yeah, before she's that, great yeah, that she's great. But uh, no, the, what I was going to say, another thing that the reviews had in common, or the quotes, were uh, the... <laughs> Terrence Howard. <laughs> yeah. They all ended with Terrence Howard 
question mark. <laughs> uh, no, they, they kind of criticized the movie being formulaic and just saying that Nora Ephron sticks to formula and doesn't go anywhere with this. Because it's not broken. Yeah, why would you mess with Obviously, it works unless you're just a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know, just resistant to formula just because you're, what, a maverick? Fucking not everything can be Blue Valentine. <laughs> like, fuck, man. I don't want to be sad every time I watch a movie about love. I, and I actually think it's pretty original. I mean, yes, it has a formula. Like, we joked in hashtag CC. Yeah, that's the Billy Crystal moment from when Harry met Sally, where he's just chasing after her, running to her before uh, she goes. But that's that's fine. I mean, that's because it's surrounded by stuff that's not formula. Uh, I... I really appreciate the what the fuck moment of Steve Carell showing up yeah. and really just you're like, what's going on? You know what? It's magic. Yeah. <laughs> the the fact that it works, of course, I understand for somebody that's not with the movie, that would have been probably the breaking point. Yeah. Where they're just like, how dare you not give me a rational explanation? How did Batman make that flaming bat symbol? <laughs> yes. <laughs> fuck you. Um. So, oh, and uh, one of the things I was thinking about when watching it, because of that, and also just the way like film tastes, I don't want to say have evolved, more or less devolved, and now things can be looked at as kitsch or even just in the twelve years since this had come out. I I don't I don't see what everyone like. I would almost like want some people to rewatch it to see if they still feel the same way about it. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. I I wonder how much of that is just you go in influenced by the fact that everybody's talking shit about this movie, and then you just you're like, oh, they were right. And I always heard I wasn't able to find anything in my my brief research, but I always heard like apparently like rumors of like production nightmares and shit. But I didn't I didn't seem to fucking track anything down like that. Yeah, well, and if they were there, it, I don't think it affected the final product. No. Uh, I I laughed last episode when you said that uh, Will Ferrell in that interview he had said that from day one he knew that they were in the shitter. Yeah. And uh, but you know you wouldn't know it from watching the movie. At least I wouldn't. No. He seems to be having a good time doing his 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 uh, Will Ferrell thing. And she was on set for maybe six hours, but Shirley MacLaine was great too. <laughs> uh, Everybody, uh, you know, Kristen Chenoweth, we really, I mean, there's not much you can say about her character yeah. other than, oh, it's Kristen Chenoweth and you can trust her to just make everybody look like they're underacting yeah. just because she's just so over the top. But even, it doesn't feel out of place. You know, it's, it is that kind of movie. I uh, almost just kind of feel bad because it, it it wasn't, you could, with how many reboots and like fucking... G.I. Joe and all these shit we've seen, like, just using old labels for shit to be churned out. I think that's another thing, too, that people would appreciate for this before that whole movement of reboots and shit came in. This was at least a legitimate attempt at something original. Right. A cast that did not phone it in. And, like, yeah, Farrell, some of those comedic moments are, like, legitimately funny things that I'll laugh about when I think about later, like... One, when he comes off the broom and he starts screaming and then he grabs that <laughs> shrub. He's like, shoo. And then also when he's like gone crazy and those kids come trick-or-treating and he just starts crying when he sees them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because that moment in particular is not for real like really overdoing it, which was a pleasant surprise. I knew he was going to cry, mm -hmm. but he actually slowly starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you expect. I Nicole Kidman made me laugh a lot, but I really – I think this was – it might have been a trailer moment. I don't care. It was still really funny. Uh, after she finds out that they're already recasting her character, and she says, tough town. Yeah. <laughs> just, I don't know. She's just really funny. Uh, and, and she sells it so, like, I think she puts, like, her hand on her head. She's like, tough town. <laughs> like, 
Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I think I kind of just came up with my own theory on the spot here, but I really think that it's possible that this was right before the massive wave of reboots and fucking uh, remakes and shit. So it could just be a thing of people have become numb to that now. So they just kind of take what they get. Whereas here they're like, I have high expectations for a show that was made fucking 40 years ago. So you, you think that Hollywood just kind of like beat the audiences into submission. It was fucking Operation <laughs> Human Shield, man. This was the first, what is that line in Moneyball? The, the first one through the gates always gets bloody. Right. So, so Bewitched gets slaughtered. Bewitched is Billy Bean. <laughs> Bewitched gets slaughtered right out of the gate. And then Hollywood is like, oh, so that's how you want to play it? All right. G.I. <laughs> Joe, one, two, three, Transformers. Hangover oh, three. <laughs> just wait. Wait till you see the lineup we have for Transformers. <laughs> just sprinkling it down upon. And that's the thing, like movies like that don't viciously get attacked like this one did back in its day. Because they're like, oh, we expect shit. Yeah, we're numb to it, type thing. Yeah, that's that is. I mean, that is very. uh, That's probably a pretty good explanation. But I think that if we tell somebody, okay, tell me why you didn't like the movie, they're just gonna say, oh, I didn't think it was funny. Mm -hmm. And there's really no argument against that. Yeah. Right. I mean, I would like to go deeper and go like, okay, why didn't you find it funny? Do you find, do you like other Will Ferrell movies? Because if you do, why don't you like him in this one where he's doing the Will Ferrell thing? Because mm-hmm. uh, if you told me. <laughs> he is, yeah. Well, no, but if you told me, okay, you usually don't like the Will Ferrell thing, but you like it in this one. Why is that? And I would tell you the answer is probably the same as if you ask me why I like uh, Semi-Pro more than his other movies. Because you have other people balancing it out. So here you have uh, Nicole Kidman. In Semi-Pro you have... Uh, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. And, um, fuck. Uh, that really beautiful woman. From News like. Radio. Yeah. Uh, Maura Tierney? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And the understated presence of Andre 3000. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he was in it. <laughs> I really think it, it would be, I mean, obviously we don't have the manpower resources to do this, but I think it re- would be really interesting after what has become to be the norm for, you know, reboots or homages. To have people revisit this because it literally is a legitimate attempt. Are you saying we don't have the manpower to organize uh, the Contrarians presents? <laughs> Be which a mass screening? Yeah, we can get in touch with the Draft House. They need good press right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> I I will not go there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, dude, I mean. You're right that we cannot make it happen, but it would be funny if somebody did, yeah. and it would be very interesting if somebody just organized like a tug, you know, like tug those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like someone, it's like, oh man, I really didn't like this when I first saw it, but after sitting through fucking like GI Joe and all the Transformer movies, <laughs> this is great. I realize now that uh, Hollywood's going in the right direction, and I fucked it up. <laughs> just I'm inv- sorry. Invite all those critics back. <laughs> just like every time something good happens, just look at him and shake your head. Uh, mildly related to this and I just thought of this it's just uh, there's this podcast uh, Eddie told me about it because uh, a friend of his does it and he just picks an album um, every episode and just talks about the history of it or whatever and uh, uh, one of the episodes was about I don't know one of the Weezer albums I don't know whatever the Weezer album was that turned out to be a huge disappointment so mm-hmm. they, they had an album that was a huge hit and then it might be Pinkerton um they have another album that was a huge, just as far as sales and critic reception and everything, was a huge disappointment. And uh, 
And then, of course, years go by, and then the album gets recognized as, oh, no, this is actually great. Yeah. And, uh, but, and they would actually have critics, music critics that had from, I don't know, uh, Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly, whatever, that had trashed it in yeah. the reviews. And then once the album becomes popular again and, and you know, finds its audience and becomes a big deal, then they, they don't necessarily retract the reviews, but they just write new reviews that go the completely opposite direction. And they're talking about how awesome it is now. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting to see movie critics do stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. But acknowledging that you fucked up or that at least you're a different person now than you were when you watched the movie or that the world is a different place now than when you first watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think the only time I've seen it happen was uh, uh, Roger Ebert's review of uh, Blue Velvet. Because I remember... Really? Uh, well, it's, it's a weird you, movie. Yes, but you can actually... Because there's this book of uh, negative reviews, a collection of negative reviews from Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. And in that one, you can find his original Blue Velvet review. And it's pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. And uh, But then when you go online... His review it goes from being like a two star review in the in the book to being I think it's a four star review on the website. Yeah. At some point he had a change of mind. It, it just uh, I don't know if he talked to Lynch. I think he has an interview with Lynch too. It, but ne- you know it goes from negative to positive. And so that kind of stuff can happen if you bother to revisit. Yeah. <laughs> Who is bothering to revisit Bewitched? <laughs> That that happens with everything, and like obviously just to personalize it because this is fucking my podcast or our podcast, excuse me. That shit can happen with anything. Uh, the fucking WrestleMania I went to this year, there was this match that I was just fucking bored to tears with when I watched it. It was Triple H and Seth Rollins. Then I bought the Blu-ray and rewatched it. I was like, holy shit, this match was fucking excellent. Okay, so what changed? Was it that you were sitting maybe at the wrong spot, no. or the audience was not really it, where I was? Well, with those shows, it's a stadium show, so like. You could be sitting 30 feet in a different direction and the crowd won't be as into it in another place type thing. But yeah, for whatever it was, it just didn't do anything for me. And I watched it and I was like, holy shit. But there, and through the history of film, there's a lot of movies that are like legendary now that weren't, you know, that well regarded when they came out. Music's the same type of thing. Um, not, not to put Bewitched on the same level as Seth Rollins and Triple H, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating because I really think. Being that I had never seen it before, just because there was a decade plus of bad legacy that followed it, I, it's it's just interesting because I think a lot of in a lot of ways, um, if something like this was made now, people would be like, "Oh, what a breath of fresh air!" It's an original script based off something old. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah, and it's not it's clearly not them ad libbing the entire thing, which would be my other thing uh, uh, when it comes to the Will Ferrell style of comedy. I can Your favorite movie, it. This Is the End? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it has it has a lot of, like, famous cameos here, too. But everything feels pretty well constructed. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they had some improvisation on the in the when they were shooting because you can't have that many comedians, I imagine, without having a little bit of brainstorming. But, I tried uh, to find my classic Alex complaint of it being too long. And really, I was trying to force that because – I mean, you could cut a couple minutes off, like a couple montages, but it, it doesn't overstay its welcome it, at all. It doesn't. It really, in part of it, because you could say that it it ends kind of easily, but that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Some movies just need that really swift third act. They, yeah. She reveals she's Not a witch. Not everything needs to be Christmas <laughs> with the cranks. <laughs> I mean, she she reveals that she's a witch. He freaks out. They both have a pretty miserable time. You have that amazing scene with Michael Caine, which I really love. Yeah. When uh, she's just describing how she feels, and he is very, very matter of factly saying, 
that's love. <laughs> and then and then they get together. You know, I think that a movie would a different movie that a movie that would wear out its welcome would introduce just like an extra obstacle. Yeah. You know, he goes to see her, but she's already gone, and now we have to see him travel to that's the witch's place or perfect, whatever. Perfect perfect way of putting it, because that seems to be the thing with all these now. Like uh five year engagement. Remember that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just like, no, you, sometimes just brief is better. Shorter is better. Give the people what they want. Yeah. And that's really what we want at that point. We're just like, it's been so good so far mm-hmm. that let's just end it on a high note instead of just adding an extra 10, 15 minutes and risking fucking it up. Yeah. And le- leaving people saying, it would have been good for the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that was Bewitched. I, this is one of the more rousing endorsements we've had for a movie <laughs> that has shit ratings. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, check it out. It's, this is the, I, I like it because this is the poster child episode for us saying, do not trust Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. You know, when they, it's, it's like when you have those commercials like certified rotten. Certified fresh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they said, if they had the opposite where they're like certified rotten, 25% do not watch. No, watch it. Yeah. Especially if you're a fan of Nora Ephron already, which mm-hmm. I think I would imagine most people have seen at least one Nora Ephron movie and have liked it. Yeah. So, why not give this a shot? Mm-hmm. Forget about the 25%. If you're somebody that absolutely positively hates Will Ferrell, that would probably be the best deterrent. Yeah, I would say, okay, then maybe you want to skip it yeah. because it is Will Ferrell doing Fer- Will Ferrell thing. So that concludes the episode about Bewitched, or our episode here covering Bewitched, I should say. Uh, next up is Zero Dark Thirty, which I think I'll have a completely different tone about when reviewing, despite its... Hey, you never know. Fresh rating. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe enough time's developed. Uh, As we continue on here, our trek of female filmmakers, this, of course, brings us winding down here. Before we jump into plugs, uh, the usual, the festive years uh, for our opening and closing track, uh, just be sure to check them out. Um, We plugged their albums to death, but just just Google the festive years band. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, Also, before we get into plugs, uh, I wanted to mention... uh, a uh, message I got from a listener that said, uh, Mark Beale said, listen to your Wild Bunch discussion. Pretty accurate. A better Peckinpah Western would be Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I wonder how Curtis feels about that. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll say this. <laughs> Billy the Kid dies. Uh, it says, has all the elements, all the same elements except the awesome finale, but not as slow. And it has Bob Dylan. You had me at Bob yeah. Dylan. <laughs> uh and then he said, of course, if you want Peck and Puff firing on all cylinders, you need to watch Straw Dogs. And like I told him, I will say, that scares me. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched the remake of Straw Dogs, and that alone was just, that was too much. It's so, a bit much. To watch the unfiltered version. <laughs> yeah. With, um, Peck and Puff going all crazy. I Yeah, I don't need to see that. With, why am I blanking on his name? The the remake or the original? The original, the original? Dustin Hoffman, Dustin right? Dustin Hoffman, yeah. yeah. Not fucking James James Marsden. And then, of course, uh, comments, questions, concerns, complaints. We are the contrarians at gmail.com. Be sure to hit us up there. Our Twitter accounts, of course, in the opening. Yeah, if you write to tell us that we're wrong about Bewitched, I really want more than I didn't think it was funny. Come with a strong argument. Yeah, come on. That's uh, we've talked about why it's cool for an hour and a half now. (laughs) (laughs) If you add up. Contrarian's Corner and uh, and Real Talk. So, yeah, you need to have a better – tell us why this story doesn't make sense mm-hmm. or, you know, 
Well, maybe you just don't like Will Ferrell. Maybe you just don't like Nicole Kidman. Maybe you're like Alex and you have that Baz Luhrmann aftertaste. Uh, but yeah, that'll bring us to uh, plugs here. As far as on my end, I'm kind of blanking here. I don't know anything that I've really been scoping out recently. Uh, that's probably good because I have I have a bunch of plugs if I can find them. I have a couple of things. Uh, our friends from uh, Draft Zero, we'll start with that. They have a Patreon now. Do you know what a Patreon is? Yes. You do? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I kind of knew, but I, I didn't know for sure until I started, you know, I checked out theirs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, I knew Patreon was, like, a way of – it was kind of like a, a like a dedicated PayPal, I guess, you yeah. know, something like that. And, yeah, it, so it is. You just make up a, 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 a profile, you join, and then you just use Patreon as a platform to support different projects, artists, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, And so they have one now. Uh, they've decided that they're just they're big enough now to have a Patreon. Uh, no, they're they're actually they have pretty cool things to offer, which I think it's like I guess key for a patron to work because mm -hmm. you know. So basically, you it's kind of like a Kickstarter campaign in the sense that your what you donate or what you contribute determines what goodies you get or what what benefits you get from them. Yeah. So it's like oh, if you donate. Like a dollar an episode, then you get mentioned in the website. If you donate, like I think three dollars an episode, you get a newsletter and you get uh, access to some polls and all that stuff. You donate like five dollars, then you get more stuff. At some point, you get like a picture of Chaz wearing only like a thong. <laughs> so it's 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 pretty cool. I and so I guess if you if you haven't listened to Rev Zero yet, I guess get do. And if you do, and somehow you miss the fact that they have a Patreon, check that out, and you'll be like me and be like, oh, this is actually a pretty easy, a pretty easy way of uh, supporting, I guess, the show. You know, because every show eventually, they have, it's kind of like us. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the hosting fees and you have, like, the time that it takes to, like, produce this thing. Uh, and in their case, it takes them longer because they're not, like, a comedy podcast, so they can't just do what we do and we just wing it. Yeah, <laughs> we just, there's no preparation for us other than deciding what movie we're watching. Yeah, but uh, Chaz is always telling me about the homework they have to do before every episode, mm. and I was like, "Yeah, I'm glad I'm not doing that." <laughs> <laughs> my homework consists of looking up Rotten Tomato scores. Uh, my second plug: you kind of stole my thunder over on Twitter, but uh, Twitter account called Titular Lines, and it said at say the title, and uh, I guess the best way of explaining is. Uh, explaining what it is is uh, I think every tweet they'll just take a frame from a movie mm -hmm. that makes it very clear what the movie is mm -hmm. and then at first I thought that their gimmick was that they were saying the title of the movie but in a way that was not said in the movie like they were quoting they were making up a quote yeah that doesn't exist in the movie but it was one of those classic lines that say the title of the movie mm -hmm. so uh, so you would have uh, I don't know uh, you know Indiana Jones like running from the boulder and then he would say something like i think this is the way or i'm a raider of the lost ark or yeah. something right and then uh but then as i've seen more and more of the postings the the title doesn't always match the movie which makes it even funnier so yeah. like you were telling me there's that one uh with darth vader uh <laughs> it says luke i am the wrath of khan <laughs> right And it sounds really stupid, but when you see it, when oh, you yeah. see the pictures, it's really funny. And, uh, of course, you tweeted at me the one that uh, from Lost in Translation where is the the picture of Will, Bill Murray whispering on Scarlett Johansson's ear. And it just says, whispers, Lost in Translation. 
it's it's really funny it's really stupid but in the oh, best yeah. possible way uh i don't remember where i got it from somebody retweeted something i think it was, it was Max. probably me no, no no i think you got it from me unless we both oh. got it from uh from two different people which I means that from my friend kip Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I think I got it from Max Landis. Oh, well, he's, uh, he's, I do not follow Max Landis. He, you should because he's a big wrestling fan. He's a wrong wrestling fan. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> uh, and then finally, I want to do – I'll give uh, a cautious recommend to the new Star Trek show. Have you heard anything about the new Star Trek show? Uh, just from you. Really? Yeah. Just now? <laughs> no, no, no. From uh, your your tweets and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's called Star Trek Discovery. It's on CBS, and I guess the big thing is that they played the first episode, you know, on regular TV, and then but then if you want to watch more episodes, you have to subscribe to their online streaming service, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not much. It's like five ninety nine a month, and I was lucky enough that uh, Kelly already had it, mm-hmm. so so I was able to just watch they've had three episodes out already and i watch all three on the app and uh i mean if you can get past the fact that oh well you're gonna have to pay to watch a new star trek show yeah uh i think it's actually pretty good i i i wasn't crazy about it for the first two episodes but then once i got to the third episode i think it really uh i, I think the problem is it has two episodes of build up Mm-hmm. You don't really get to what the show is going to be about. At mm-hmm. least that's what I think they are now uh, until the third episode. You don't really meet most of the crew that you're going to have for the rest of the show until you get to the third episode. So it's a, really, a little weird. That yeah. The first two episodes are like this mini movie with a bunch of characters you, you're not going to see again. And then uh, a few of them just cross over to the rest, to episode three and beyond. And uh, But once you get to episode three, I was all in. I really like what they're doing. And... Uh, and I'm really looking forward to see where it goes because the one thing that they've established in these three episodes is obviously that you don't know what's going to happen in this show. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's cool. I'm I'm kind of excited just to see a new Star Trek TV show just with new modern sensibilities, see what happens. But I was also really excited because the guys that we plugged, that I plugged uh, a few episodes ago, the guys from uh, The Greatest Generation mm-hmm. uh, who do the podcast about a Star Trek Next Generation episode by episode, they're also doing a podcast about Star Trek Discovery. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's called The Greatest Discovery. And it's obviously, I mean, it's different because it's one thing to do a podcast where you go episode by episode, but it's a show that's been over for a long time. So Mm. really, they have the benefit of hindsight. They know how everything ends. They can make jokes knowing that, oh, well, things are better, things go bad, or this character goes in this direction. But here, with this one, they're just the same as us. They're just going episode by episode without knowing what happens next. So, it's uh, it's been I've listened to their first two and it's been a lot of fun just kind of like seeing how they tackle the fact that they don't have knowledge of anything yeah. in the future. Uh, it, it's definitely changed their dynamic a little bit, uh, but I think it's still worth uh, listening to. It's just you can also you can feel them like just feeling it out, trying to figure out what's happening now mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of oh well I can just make jokes about Captain Picard and Commander Riker. And I can, even if the episode is terrible, nothing's happening. I can fall back on comedy about them. But mm-hmm. here, I, it almost feels like they're a little bit more at the mercy of what happens week by week on this new Star Trek show. So it's it's interesting. But anyway, I, I hope that it keeps the upward swing and it gets better as it goes along. Uh, and hopefully it's not one of those shows that starts interesting and then just dissipates. I, I don't think that they can afford to do that, though, because if you have people paying to watch that show exclusively on CBS, then... Uh, I think the expectations are going to be high. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see. 
My lady friend has me watching the show called Over the Garden Wall. I'm only halfway through it, though. It's a very short. It's a Cartoon Network, like uh, Elijah Wood uh, thing. It's a Elijah Wood as a cartoon? Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was prepared to that, for that answer to be no. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's not like him as a cartoon. Oh. He just voices. Like, hey, I'm Frodo. <laughs> Uh, no, it's 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 a bit peculiar, so I'll give a full recap on the next episode when I'm done with it, because it's only like a 10 episode series. Okay. Of 20 minutes each, I guess? Yeah, something like that. It falls under the madness rules, but we're good. Is that it for the plugs this week? That is it. That's three plugs, man, and you brought like half a plug to the table. Yeah, yeah, so. I was going to say, you plugged it up, don't worry. Uh, but with that in mind, that'll do it for this most recent episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's summer of 1999. Testing for uh, Bewitch Real Talk. Is that Bewitch?